Hey everyone. So it occurs to me that um, this whole thing is, it's really like you going up against a carnival cruise line versus a rowboat. So the momentum that's built to survive uh, from trauma is monumental. It builds itself. It, <coughs> it, it's almost like, you know, one of those Schwarzenegger movies where, you know, you attack the thing and then the thing rebuilds itself. And that's how powerful the momentum of this thing that you built um, is. It is not, you know, getting in front of a little rowboat and trying to stop it from moving, right? It has little momentum. A carnival cruise line with, you know, 10 zillion people that's plowing through the ocean with 10 zillion, you know, stories of all-you-can-eat buffet and 10 stories of, you know, of rooms. It's a whole different matter. And this thing is moving by itself if you've if it's been taken over by trauma, right? It's, you don't have any say. It's re-erected itself. It's rebuilt itself to plow forward through life. So to stop that momentum, to slow it down, to actually pull it apart, to get it into the dock, um, that's what the ayahuasca does. And it does so depending on how powerful the momentum is over a lot of time. So, you know, don't underestimate the amount of supersonic energy, momentum, and fuel. And the fuel is, is the terror. And the terror is left behind and then the thing is just built, right? It's just this you know, like this massive, I'm thinking about sort of King Kong gorillas just moving and, you know, smashing jungles and plants and just, you know, you're like in Lilliput land, you're a tiny little, you know, mini person. And this thing that you've built is like this massive, you know, gorilla that towers above you. It was built out of terror. And so it's even more ballooned. It's even more powerful because it's, it knows the consequences of not existing, of not being that, right? You're going to get swallowed up. So whatever your strategy, your compensations, your, you know, stories, your foxtrot, your court jester, you know, variations to survive they're pretty embedded in your code right so mine was always you know you're not enough so you better it's just a constant there's always a kind of a background radiation noise there's always one or two themes that run the program right so whatever you're however that you were labeled or coded there's this, something is wrong, right? Background noise, 
something's wrong with you. That's really what it is. Something's wrong with you. Again, not helped by all this religious babble and, you know, witchcraft making and bullshit. You know, you're not enough. Control, control, control. So, here you are, right? This huge um, kind of hurricane of momentum. It's like a Molotov cocktail built out of the debris of shit. You know, moving very fast without thinking, you know, stopping to have, a, you know, now and again, you know, some kind of diversion to deal with the amount of trauma you're carrying. <coughs> some kind of out, whatever that out is for you. And I think about it like there's this freaky circus coming through town. And they're kind of like, for me, it kind of is like this evil circus group. And you're just like this innocent little chimp that's just hanging out with his parents. And, you know, they figure, oh, I'm going to just grab that little chimp and then throw it into the circus freak show. And, you know, now you're terrified. You're sort of derooted, deracinated. You know, you're, you've left home. You're terrified. There's no connection. And now they need you to, you know, perform these circus acts. And the only way you're going to survive is if you perform these circus acts. That's what my trauma feels like to me. I'm sure yours feels very different. But the whole notion of trauma and why we look to, you know, leave our bodies and our whole being is because we can't deal with the reality of it, the feelings, the truth, the people. And, you know, the more you um, let yourself be dismantled, the more you see the power of it and the story behind it. Um, and also, all the feelings that are keeping you from facing it. So, you know, in my case, I really felt, feel like I was just, you know, taken, you know, by, you know, the traveling freak show circus, you know, from this little town I was living in. Let's just put it, I'm just putting it in a metaphorical way. And like thrown in, like, you know, undercover, like somebody put a bag over your head and just stole you. And suddenly you're in this, you know, Halloween 3 circus freak show where there's just evil. And if you don't perform, you know, you don't um, do their bidding, then there's just a constant threat of death. So the question is, where are you? Like, who are you? And that's the thing that happens when you, well, there are many things that happen, but one of them is the momentum of having created the compensation. So mine was always, you know, you're not enough. You're not it. You don't matter. And therefore, if you want any say in this place, if you want to survive, if you are going to 
not get eaten by the monster or whatever, you need to agree to the horror and then you have to build the person we want to make us happy. Like, you know, a loving, caring parent, you know, sees its child, loves its child, nourishes what's arrived, it's divine, right? So in that kind of idyllic, you know, kind of Maldives resort arrival, you know, where the air is beautiful and the palm trees are swaying and the sea is this transparent blue, you know, there's the kind of this massive landscape of, you know, I'm going to be the cushion for your growth and blossoming, right? There's this kind of unfettered, endless <clears throat> landscape of conscious awakening, right? That's like, you know, one of those, um, uh, you know, two innocent lovers lost on an island kind of idyllic place thing, right? Where the universe is just, the, you know, the basically the cushion and the embrace for your growth. Now, if you're in the you know, circus, the circus, the freak show circus has come to town and we're going to, you know, put a bag over your head and you're three and you're four and we're going to, you know, throw you in the back of this, you know, um, thing. And, y you know, if you, you, if you don't do what we tell you, you're going to die. That's a whole different experience. <laughs> you know, the armor that you're building is that, you know, is the armor of a knight in a medieval crusade. It's the, the armor of, you know, I cannot be in life without my armor. I cannot breathe a breath without the fear of being killed or something terrible. Because no one here, you know, gives a flying fuck about whether I'm happy or I'm not, or if I live or I die. They just need to profit, to, that, that you just become fuel to fuel their own lack. Because, you know, evil is usually, or darkness or dysfunction comes from lack, right? It doesn't come from love, you know. I don't need to do any of this if I love. Why do I need to control and, right? If, I, if I'm at peace, if I, you know, whatever, right? I don't. So you become, you know, kind of the fueling station. And so in that, you know, fueling station position where you're just figuring, it's like a court jester, you know, at the court, you know, every day you've got to make the king laugh or the queen laugh. And the day you stop making them laugh is the day you die. Right? And so where are you? Like, you never showed up. So, you know, you're just, it's either, you know, dance for the king or the queen or die, right? There's no, I think there's the hope. So who were you before? There's that great Zen quote, you know, what was my original face before my mother and father were born? What was my truth? I mean, I think everybody has a truth before it's tampered with. I think we all have a divine truth before we're assailed by crazy, you know, before we become, you know, the container for someone's poison. And that ultimately is 
the way back to cleanse all of it so that you can finally know who the fuck you really are, right? Apart from the fact that you don't want to live in, you know, this constant threat or constantly tap dancing your way through your sessions with the king and the queen or trying to make them laugh or forcing yourself into a version that will not have you beheaded. What is it like to live without any of that threat, you know, in that original state where you can just actually blossom from who you are? So from what I see, in order for that blossoming to happen, you need, you know, people that see you and that care, that nurture you right, where you are safe to be you. And a lot of, so a lot of the cleansing and a lot of the healing is literally removing layers and layers and layers of um, momentum. And then under that, layers of, you know, self-hatred and guilt. And this, this thing is, it's really packed like a Molotov cocktail. It's, if there's trauma, there is, um, really it's like being smothered in, or caked in, you know, endless years of crap. And I think about, you know, like the volcanic eruption, you know, in Italy, that Vesuvius, you know, when it just erupted and everything was just frozen by the lava and in a way that's what it's like you know you know who what is that original kernel of who you are and the truth back because one of the things that we do <coughs> in trauma is yes we armor up but we armor up the most important muscle in the whole body which is the heart and the heart you know is the thing that guides is the thing that holds the truth of who you are, it's there, it's in your heart. And if you're armored up, that also has been locked up because that's far too, but that's the very first thing that's attacked, right? Is, you know, the heart. There's no love, there's no safety, there's no recognition of you. I mean, <clears throat> you can't afford to feel any of that. You know, that's, you know, a contract with death. So, you know, this kind of removing of the veils, it sounds so almost, you know, Cinderella-like fairy tale, like it's not veils, I wish it were just as simple as veils, but they're huge, I see them as, as vast um, bubbling pools of poison one needs to drain or, you know, literally drain. And we have to, you have to keep kind of dropping into them. And it, it really is like some kind of gothic tale where, you know, there's this landscape of these bubbling pools and it's dark and there are demons and all sorts of slithery creatures. And you have to go, you know, face all of them. And, you know, they are, you're absolutely terrified as you go in because it's just like, oh, what the fuck is this, right? And 
one of somebody was saying that you know that's kind of the, in the yoga there are three bodies there's the physical body then there's the um the material body the physical energetic body and then the emotional body i mean it's all many different things um but all of them have to be released right and I, that's certainly clear to me now and one of the pools that i had to the bubbling pools in the dark that i had to deal with was you know the sense of physicality like i i felt like i was a leper you know like this kind of like hunched back leper you know just this it was like i was this kind of thing riddled with some kind of pot so you know it's like i was like this kind of poxed you know hunched back kind of riddled with you know scabs or something like something out of again like the plague in medieval london like sort of like in the corner and i was on this mountain top and i'd like i'd been dropped there like i'd been left there and and again i never knew there was this Layer. These are all layers and the bubbling pools of poison which we need to see and drain that are living inside of us. And um, <clears throat> and you know, you can, as I go in and out of these different dimensions, I really think, you know, was I captured in one dimension and then, you know, brought to another dimension and then it's just all so insane. But anyway... Um, you know, you can invent all sorts of narratives, right? Um, but literally, um, I felt like this, and it was this massive feeling of feeling like a leper, of like something that had just been abandoned because it was so vile, you know? And this society was so busy <clears throat> perfecting our bodies and which I'm, you know, hey, I'm, I'm all into, but, like, it's an obsession, like, that, you know, nothing can be, you know, nature is nature, right? It's just, it shows up, it doesn't, it just shows up. A daffodil doesn't say, oh, do my petals look nice, right? But, you know, we're kind of obsessed with this. I mean, there's a lot of pretty and a lot of vacant at the same time, right? But, um. It means a lot. Your physicality means a lot, right? This is the physical manifestation of the soul. And that's what other people are looking at. They're not looking at you in other dimensions. They're looking at you in this dimension. So so I, I felt, I, I must have felt so unclean, obviously from the abuse. And also from their constant, you know, you're not enough, you've got to become something else, this isn't working for me kind of thing. It's just horrific. But again, <clears throat> you know, we need to see what's behind the momentum. And there are many, many pockets of mechanisms, beliefs, versions of yourself, you know, that have... <coughs> that are sitting there navigating again your existence. And that was part of the, you know, as I say, the freak show circus that came to town. One of their methods of controlling 
someone, if they're little and they're powerless, to tell them they're shit, basically. If somebody says to you, you know, you're not worthy, you're ugly, you're, you're not pink enough, yellow enough, you know, and you're constantly being told to excel yourself into another person, well, of course, that's going to create all sorts of, you know, pools of poison within you. So, you know, I go back to stopping the momentum of um, the trauma. And if you're willing to, you know, halt the momentum, and that for me came through meditation, not through ayahuasca, behind the momentum are, you know, other narratives. And, and they're like massive bruises, you know, it's like, it's like somebody, you know, like a, somebody, a soul arriving and they're just being splattered with just crap. And, and I think about those, you know, medieval, you know, if you did something wrong, you've been put in these kind of like out in the middle of the square with your hands in these holes and your head, you know, it's like these contraptions and people just throw things at you. That's what it's like if you've arrived to, you know, abuse or lack of love or whatever. It's like, you know, in the middle of a square, you are, you know, castrated, basically. You are belittled, disrespected, and unloved. <clears throat> and so therefore, in order for you to survive the humiliation, there's someone telling you that you're not enough, you know, that it's wrong to be a child, that it's wrong to have your emotions. You know, you're going to have all the humiliation and, and, and self-hatred about being wrong, not being right, which is insane. And then if you get past that, then you're going to, you know, you're going to be on your game every day trying to, you know, make the best joke for the king and the queen so that you'll be accepted and connected. So here's the thing. There's no relationship with anything or anyone unless you are fully who you are. Right? So in the eyes of a child, sweet little vulnerable child, it thinks, well, look, if, I'm, if this is all wrong with me, Right? They make me feel all wrong. They make me feel like I'm not worthy, like I'm not, I'm, you know. Then you're going to conjure up a version of yourself that will make some kind, or that will ignite some kind of connection where you're not being humiliated or put down or belittled, but that you want to you find the connection with them. That's the thing, right? So really, it's amazing how much we're at the mercy of idiots, at the mercy of, you know, ruined, dysfunctional, unloving, fucked up people, in that so early in the game, we're forced to make them into this king and queen, into the authority of divinity. That's what's fucking weird, right? Like, how is it that I walk into this, I get born into this, first of all, I get dumped into who knows what fucking crazy or not, and then I 
you know, make them into the, the reality, the king and the, I authorized them to be king and queen because they're bigger than me and they gave birth to me. And they could be evil or rotten or not nice or unloving. And then I need to adjust my whole life. I can, I'm going to be totally sculpted by the outline of, you know, their rottenness. I mean, it's the whole thing is kind of weird, actually. Um, and again, I could be completely wrong. That's just my own little, again, my tiny version of this in the tiny, in this huge expanse of of sand, of ocean, of beach, right? So basically the scrubbing down or the, literally it's, it feels like you're, for me it's been like I've been attached, I've been entangled to like a bomb, you know, like, and if I didn't, you know, wire myself correctly with these people, I would self-destruct or I would blow up. It's, it's that delicate. It's that refined when you are living in trauma and fear. You have to sort of wire yourself up to them because in a certain way. Because, and you know that instinctively, if I rewire myself wrong, I'll blow up, right? I'll die. And so... On the one hand, we're delicately, you know, refusing ourselves and making ourselves into what they want. And then the other side, we're like, you know, under a bridge with a needle in our arm, you know, trying to like, because it's such a painful place to be, which is insane. I mean, that's when you realize, you know, you've arrived to the wrong place. <laughs> it's just like, what? Right? So... Um, my, so, so literally it was like, what I had to do, and again, it all depends on how powerful your trauma is, the way I had to pretzel up to fit into this really untenable and horrific situation was so pretzeled was so like wrong all of it I mean all of it was wrong there wasn't one redeeming virtue of any of this stuff right so that pretzel you know I you know I had to reinvent I had you know we had to it was so massive the distortion that's the word the distortion that I had to create in order to fit in to these crazy people that to unravel all of it and to be free of all of it has been a monumental task. Because the distortion of my energetic field to, to fit, to find connection with these horrific people was so monumental. It's like you really, it's like having to keep, it's like if you dive and you have to keep your breath, right? You have to hold your breath. Like my whole life I've been holding my breath, feels like. Right, just keep holding your breath. Keep accepting this. Keep agreeing. 
Keep coming up with jokes for them. Keep becoming what they want. Keep doing it. Because if you don't, <clears throat> if one wire gets tripped, you're dead. So letting go is really letting go of the fear of what will happen if this whole pretzel unpretzels itself. If I take away every single wire that's wired up to them. If I float free from the mothership. Will I just die in the darkness? Will I die in oblivion? Because remember, you only mean something if you're in trauma and you've, you know, you've pretzled up. You only mean something in relation to them when you've built this falsehood. Because what you've built is to, you know, have a parent. It's not you. You've built this whole outline to maintain. It's false. It's wrong. It's built out of terror. But it's a thing that you know that connects you to something, to someone. And if you've used that outline over and over, which is truly a falsehood because it's a Molotov cocktail of fear and terror and refusal and denial and all that shit and self-hatred, then you're not really connecting to anyone. You've never connected to anyone. I certainly didn't. How could I possibly connect to anyone when I've built this whole Frankensteinian pretzled up, you know, scab filled thing <laughs> that's, you know, cracking jokes to make sure that, you know, I survive another day. You're, you know, trying to be what they want. That's not me, right? That's not who I am, never has been. But, you know, you hide behind all of that, all of your manifestations, all of your awkward, you know, pretzeled, kind of suffocated, Frankensteinian thing to make sure you get a rise from them. <clears throat> And that's where the paralysis is, the child and the parent. When you realize that, oh, okay. And I actually had that realization very clearly one day in my mouth in London. It's like, oh, they don't want me for me. Oh, okay. They want me for what I can show up as. Okay. It was like, all right, that's the game. Ain't nothing happening here unless you know, they get fulfilled. So, again, I'm just talking about the mechanics of how this thing works. And I'm a guinea pig in, you know, this is my experience. Yours might be completely, very different. Everybody says their own journey. But I'm just trying to point out that the momentum of what you build is very powerful. In that to stop it, you know, you need to go 
to all the things that you are believing that were thrust upon you, like paint on a white canvas, right? That basically has stopped the energetic field from growing into itself and has, you know, been, you know, bastardized, really, by no love. And wounded by no love. And ultimately, it's the refusal of you. Trauma is the refusal of you. It's like you're just coming up out of the water. Like you imagine you're just beginning to surface out of the water and to, to get air as you're arriving. And then someone jumps on you as you're coming up to get air and boom. You're back down. You never got a chance to arrive. Right? So it's the refusal of you. Right? I just, you're coming up, this divine essence, divinity is right. It's packed with the momentum of the divinity. It's packed with life. It's packed with potential. It, it's coming up from the bottom of the ocean and boom, it surfaces and it's coming up and out and then something just jumps in it and pushes it right down. It's the refusal of you. It's the refusal of what you could have blossomed into, what your potential is, your universal right to become you. Someone says, no, don't want that. Not interested in that. That's not going to work for me. Why are you a child? I don't want a child. Oh, look, there's a container. I can jump, dump all my shit in that. Not interested in what you have to say, who you are, loving what's here. No. I have my own unfinished business. I've got it still taken care of. My own momentum is still on full force, right? So I'm not going to... I'm just going to bulldoze right over that thing. I'm not interested in that. Basically what it is. So if you get tangled up in that, you know, Google's IT closet, corporate headquarters, where you're just one big... You're just another wire and a thousand zillion wires... You know, you're not asking any questions. You're not questioning anything early on. You're going to, you know, bullet. You're going to basically hurry up and show up as whatever it is that you need. And you will be the comedian, the camouflage, the court jester everything so you get some kind of like it's like you know the two pieces of stone and flint right the two pieces of wood trying to find light and ignition something anything anything that will connect you but the sacrifice for that is you need to then dump yourself
And that's what all this is about. The trauma really is, this all it's about simply put after, you know, 3,000 machinations of trying to talk about it is someone refused you your life because they didn't love you. Simple as that. Didn't see you, didn't bother. And because you're refused, then you have to build this other thing that is not you that you know they want and therefore you'll survive and to, you know if you're going to build a falsehood what are you doing well you're just saying no to you no to your heart no to your life no to everything that you would have become had you arrived somewhere else in a loving landscape and if this thing that you build which is again a cover-up a if it practices being itself for a long time, you believe that you're that, that you are the court jester with the great jokes with the king and the queen. You believe that you are that, that pretzeled up, weird, self-doubting thing, that, that you're, but you're not. You've had to become all of that because you know, day one, you're out. You're not in the game. You haven't been received and embraced and nurtured and loved. You, you didn't arrive to a gardener who masters in orchids, you know. You arrived to a grave digger who specializes in burying bodies, burying souls. And so... No, you're not trimmed and pruned and carefully, you know, looked after. I mean, some orchids are better looked after than human beings. Actually, most orchids, if, you know, they're in the Kensington show, you know. How beautiful. I spent hours every day watering it, taking care of its lily plants, and I feed it. And it's just like, oh, my God, I want to be that orchid. That orchid's gotten more care and love than I will ever fucking get. So that's why it's all insane. Um, if you, again, you show up as a daffodil and someone says, no, I didn't, didn't ask for that. I didn't order that. You know, send it back. Amazon, you know, wrong package. That's where the struggle is. You have to refuse everything about who you really are to fit in. It's a form of control, right? Right? And so therefore I have to go over here and, you know, snort up at least, you know, one Colombian village's worth of cocaine, which by the way I don't do, but I'm just saying, you know, so, that, so I can disappear from feeling this. I don't want to feel this rejection. I don't want to feel the fact that I'm not enough, that I'm not loved for who I am. I don't want to feel that I'm wrong. Every time I have to put on this costume to go see these people or be connected to anyone, because they are telling you what, basically, you're going to be for the rest of your life, right? So that's, I mean, I'm just saying it's a lot of momentum that's built. A lot. It's layers and layers of um, thinking and beliefs. And it's a lot of thinking, right? 
And once you begin to address, you know, through for me through ayahuasca, the whole conundrum of it, the whole, you know, pile of shit basically is what it is. It's like a massive toxic waste dump that you're trying to hold down with like, you know, a cupcake. <laughs> it's like, it's not really that. Right. Behind the momentum is, you know, everything that you've thought about, who you, you know, who you are, who you see yourself, you know, the leper in you, right? I was literally on a mountaintop like this, you know, unclean, you know, this kind of like Quasimodo, a cross between Quasimodo, a leper, and some kind of plagued, you know, medieval homeless person, I don't know. That's how I deeply thought about myself. I mean, it's just insane. Which is why I needed the, you know, the nice veneer, you know, like the nice facade, because deep down, that's what I had been made to feel. So, of course, I had to keep, you know, cracking the jokes of the king and the queen, because if I stopped cracking the jokes, then I'd have to face, you know, who I was. I mean, I wasn't that, but, you know, how I really felt about myself, what they, the damage they had done. So again, it's not about blame. It's just about the reality of it, you know. We go around going, oh, I can't say anything bad about them. I can't they're my parents. No, they're human beings that can do lots and lots of damage and need to be pointed out in the same way that anything that's bad that's happening needs to be seen. It can't be let's pretend it, you know. It's like, oh, he's a priest. He won't, you know, abuse a child because he's wearing a robe. Fuck, he might even abuse it more because he's wearing a robe, right? You know, we need to stop pretending that, you know, that it's wrong to point out the truth. Because, you know, they're your parents, or they're a priest, or a rabbi, or whatever the fuck they are, or whatever title they've been given to assume some kind of authority of moral compass. Evil is evil. It can manifest in many different ways. It can wear robes, you know. I mean, the Inquisition wore robes. They weren't a happy bunch. <laughs> In the name of God, I'm going to torture you. I mean, it's horrific. So, and that's one of the greatest fears of the child is like, you know, I'm going to, it's like blasphemy. I'm the sacrilege. I'm going to break this kind of holy bond or contract. And therefore, I'm going to be, you know, punished into oblivion. All this just joke, right? See it. You know, pull it right out of the darkness. Stick it under a microscope. See it for what it is. See them for who they truly are, not under the blinkered, you know, version of a terrified child that needs to reinvent them, but as a specimen, you know, the fly under the microscope where you pull its wings and you pull it apart and you see it for what it is. That's the only way you get to have a, a, a level playing field. The only way we have a level playing field is when we're not blinkered. When we're willing to see everything for what it is. Even when we're terrified, right? Because 
your child is terrified, it's paralyzed, it doesn't want to see the truth, it can't bear to see it. But the only way I'm going to unparalyze my, you know, paralyzed four or five-year-old is by seeing the truth of who they are. So she can stop, you know, being their cheerleader. She's paralyzed, but she's their cheerleader because she's terrified of the ramifications of not supporting them. So this thing, okay, so what's complicated in this is not what happened. It's straight up, you know, you put your hand in the flame, you get burnt, right? It's not that. It's the fact that it's very difficult for a child to rebel against the people that it authorized as its parents. That's really it. It's very difficult to tear down, you know, the veils of those in authority or those who were supposed to love you. And it's very difficult to stop the momentum of what you built to make that truth work. It wasn't truth to make the lie work. That's the most difficult. And all of it... <clears throat> so what you've built is, if you've been in trauma, to refuse the pain of what happened or the truth of your emotions is the big festering wound thing. It's the thing that, you know, you need to traipse through. It's a thing, it's a forest that you need to cut down. Right? That's kind of the work. The work is all of the stories and narratives and compensations and all the kind of messy, you know, bubbling pools of poison that you've had to, you know, refuse. You've got to get, you've got to drain all of it. That's the messy, difficult bit. The simple part is you got refused, you got drowned, and you accepted them over you. That's, and you have to topple them and be you. And the forces that terrify you make it very difficult for you to topple them. Which is why, you know, ayahuasca is so powerful in being an ally to you, an ally to the truth of who you've always been, to the you that was refused, buried, you know, unloved, because that really is, it's, it's really, you have to topple kind of the dictators you put into power. And you kind of like your dictators because you've known them for however long. And you've built a whole person to make them work. And when you get dismantled, they get toppled. And that's very scary to a child because it doesn't know what comes afterwards. Well, what comes afterwards is just you as you are. And, you know, they may not want you 
as you are. They may not accept you as you are, and that's just the sad truth, but it's really your divinity you know, versus their tyranny over you. And it seems quite simple, but it's a very complicated process of unwrangling and returning home. And potentially that returning home will mean, you know, you will no longer have that relationship with them. And you don't know what that looks like because you've never showed up because when you were coming up to the surface to like breathe and live and be all of you, you know, you were drowned on arrival. And so the work of falsehood and, you know, lepers and Frankensteins and, you know, court jesters and cracking jokes and building narratives began. And all of that has to be laid bare and, you know, toppled. And with that, them. But, you know, you know, ultimately, it's you and your heart and your truth that has been damaged. And if truth matters to you, <coughs> then that's what you're going to fight for. You're really fighting to get everything back against forces which are strenuously, relentlessly, magnetically pulling you in their direction. And there's all sorts of guilt, you know, if I'm not what they want, I'll, they'll die, I'm responsible for their death, I'm responsible. It's all BS. It's the universe, it's huge, right? It's building, you know, seaweed and little things at the bottom of the ocean that live off the, these little gas leaks. And the, I mean, it's just insane. It's building black holes and galaxies. And it's just... The bloody universe. <coughs> it seems like a very <coughs> difficult fight, battle. In the eyes of a child, yes it is, if you're a terrified child. But really in, you know, in light of this whole magnificent, pulsating, creating thing, intelligence, whatever it is, I don't know what it is. It's just your little garden, right? In this huge landscape of infinite universe. It's not as big as your little kid thinks it is. All right. Good luck. Bye.